This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. As we come back to our story in the book of Nehemiah, I want to recap and uh, remember all the events that have happened up to this point. Um, our story began with Nehemiah in the presence of the king of Persia in the winter capital of Susa. Nehemiah's role was to hand the king his cup and make sure that it was safe for the king to drink. Trusted position. While he was serving the king in that role, he heard news from Jerusalem. Some of the Israelites who had traveled from Jerusalem to Susa let him know that the wall around the city had been destroyed. Homes lying in ruins, a temple destroyed. Nehemiah was broken with that news. He went before the king and asked permission to return to Jerusalem to personally do something about it, to rebuild the walls, to restore the glory of God's city there where his temple was, where his presence remained for the people to come and worship. And the king granted permission, provided supplies, provisions, security, everything that Nehemiah would need to rebuild when he arrived in Jerusalem. When he arrived there, he found two groups of people, the people of Israel who were in and around the city who were ready and willing to join Nehemiah in the work of rebuilding the wall. The foreign peoples who lived around Jerusalem who adamantly tried to stop Nehemiah and the Israelites from rebuilding the wall. They did not want to see Jerusalem become a place of power again in the region. And so Nehemiah engaged the people he armed them, set them up to protect one another, invited them to stay within the city to guard one another, and they worked and gave all of their hearts to this labor. They worked with all their hearts. They worked diligently to rebuild the walls. They accomplished this incredible feat in a matter of months, and they celebrated together. They gathered in the square by the water gate. They invited Ezra to bring out the scroll and read to them the word of God that they hadn't heard in such a long time. They began to read hour after hour reading from the scroll. And the people of Israel, as they heard God's word again, were moved to tears, reminded of the standard that God had set for them, reminded of all of the things that they had stopped doing, reminded of all of the things that they had started doing that violated the instructions in God's word. And they wept over their unfaithfulness. Nehemiah, Ezra, the leaders of the people, called on them to hold their tears for another time. Their assembly was a day of celebration. There would come a time for mourning, but the day they gathered was a day to celebrate. So the people of Israel celebrated together. They ate. They joined together. They went back to their homes. They followed God's instructions for the celebration of making temporary shelters for themselves for seven days, hearing the word of God. They gathered together again, and now is the time for mourning, to confess their sin before the Lord, to make a decision about the changes that need to take place within themselves. They put on sackcloth and ashes, signs of their sorrow. And they gathered with the Levites, the, the the priests standing in front of them, instructing them, reading to them. And in verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 9, we pick back up with our story. As the Levites stood before the people and said these words, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. 
Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Notice the focus on the majesty of God that we are pointed to in the text from Nehemiah. The same way we're pointed throughout the pages of Scripture to recognize the greatness of God. When Jesus instructed his disciples how to pray, he began with honoring and praising God. Again and again, we're, we're pointed to recognize the, the majesty of God, the power of God. And God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise because of who he is. From everlasting to everlasting. We begin thinking about the timeline, looking in both directions. We look to the past. We look to the future. And because of God's eternal nature, we look back to the past, he's there. Even all the way back at creation. Because God is eternal, we look to the future, and we know he's there. His presence is will be there. We praise God for who he is, that he's eternal, that he's going to be there, that he always has been there, that he is here now. He is eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. God is. And the greatness of who he is commands our praise. We praise him for the fact that he is the one true God. And this is what the text calls us to. Blessed be your glorious name. May we be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are God. And then we're pointed to think about creation. As far back as we can think. The place where God existed. He is creator. In Acts chapter 3, Jesus is called the author of life. Now, author is not a word that I would use to describe creation personally. When I think of God creating, my mind just, it, it, it conjures up images of like a sculptor with clay. And God is referred to in that way in Scripture. And so my mind naturally goes there. Maybe, maybe you think of a, an artist, an architect, someone who, who forms things and shapes things. And we think about all that it would take for God to form the earth and everything that's in it. We marvel at his creative majesty. But we use this word author as a biblical description of God's work. We, we turn to the, the book of John. In the beginning of that gospel, we read about creation. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The word of God. This refers to Jesus. But it's interesting that, that John would choose this phrase. The word was with God, and the word was God. Notice when we turn back to Genesis and we read about creation. The continuity of that description. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be. First he said, let there be light. And then at each step of creation, every day that God created, he said, let there be. He spoke things into existence. And that's what marks God distinctly different than a sculptor. God wasn't taking what already existed and forming something else out of it. God was speaking things into existence, articulating the existence of everything. It's like we might write with a pen and paper. God spoke, writing with atoms and elements, creating complete accuracy, everything that is. We praise God for what he's done. Praise him as the giver of life. This is very breath that provided life to Adam in the Garden of Eden. We live and move and have our being because of his sovereignty, of his wisdom, of his guidance, his protection, his provision. We see the hand of God in everything that is, including in ourselves. And the, the Levites, the priests, continued to, to point the people of Israel to recognize the majesty of God as they thought about history. Not just creation, but the unfolding of events leading to this time. We're going to read a large portion of Scripture here, beginning of verse 7. Remember last week we talked about the value of the reading of Scripture when we gather together? Here's one of those examples. What I'd like to ask you to do as we read together is to recognize God in the text. Recognize his character. Recognize his quality. Recognize what he's doing. You want to jot those down in your bulletin? Do that, please. We're going to highlight those things after we read through the text. So I want to make this a, a, a group effort as we think through the, the re reflection of God's character in the story. You are the Lord God who chose Abram, brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled the pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire. To give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them 
even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, a pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies, so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them stubbornly. They turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them, but your spirit, by your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them, or abandon them, for you are gracious and merciful, God. That is an incredible history of the people of Israel, recognizing not only God's presence, but his provision, his faithfulness. Notice how the past demonstrates God's faithfulness. How this long unfolding of events reminds the people continually how faithful God has been. How his power has been made known. How he has provided consistently, has protected them and guided them in all things. They could look to the past and trust God's faithfulness. Know that he had been working for their ultimate good. Even when moments were difficult. Even when they faced significant difficulty. Even when they were overcome with grief and pain and sorrow and guilt, he was there working in their lives to draw them closer to him. And they began talking through those events, highlighting God. He began with Abraham, his calling at the beginning of the covenant. And this section reminds us of the specific relationship between God and his people, a relationship based on promises. 
that God promised to deliver his people into their inheritance, into the land that he had provided for them. And they promised to be faithful and obey. They committed themselves to faithfulness. And there was a difference in the way those promises played out. The people, even though they promised, were unfaithful. But God, because of his righteousness, was consistently faithful to the covenant. Next, we read through the exodus from Egypt. God's compassion is highlighted as the people remember God's willingness to see them in their condition. His willingness to hear their cries for mercy. His willingness to act on their behalf. And God made a name for himself through the miraculous deliverance that he provided, overcoming the, the arrogance and the power of Egypt and the Pharaoh. God parted the Red Sea, guided his people out. He guided them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He encountered Moses on Mount Sinai and made his presence known. He provided significantly for his people through this time. He provided them with standards. He provided them with manna. He provided them with water. He provided them with guidance. His provision is highlighted significantly through this section. He sustained them. He cared for them. He established the Sabbath rest for his people. And through all these provisions, he was pointing them to what it, is, to the, what it means to be physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually healthy and cared for by his provision. And they continued journeying through the promise or through the wilderness toward the promised land. And God's forgiveness moved him to continue caring for the people as they journeyed through the wilderness, as they continually turned away from him. They were delayed because of their unfaithfulness, but God did not leave them or abandon them. And then we're pointed to the times of the judges, times of unfaithfulness, times of oppression, times of deliverance, a cycle of living, a pattern that emerged in their lives, whenever they were at rest, they would turn away from God. They would be disobedient and find themselves taken captive by foreign people. And in that captivity, recognize how wrong they were, recognize their need to turn back to God. And God would send a deliverer to free them, to point them back to him, to help them see the importance of faithfulness. And we notice through all that time, while God was pointing them to what they needed to learn, what they needed to do, he didn't hesitate to make them uncomfortable. He didn't hesitate to bring about consequences for their actions. They needed to experience those hardships before they were willing to recognize their need to change. Through that incredible history, we learn so much about God's character. Through that history, we see the quality of who he is. We learn about his righteousness, that overwhelming commitment to good, to what is right, to what is holy. We learn about his compassion, hearing his people, seeing his people, caring for his people. We learn about his provision, sustaining them, providing for them. We learn about his grace and mercy. We learn of his incredible patience, providing again and again and again opportunities for his people to recognize their wrong, to turn away from that wrong and turn back to him. 
We see God working throughout history to bring about his plan for all people, working throughout history to draw people closer to him. We see it unfolding. We look back through these details. We see it in the way God works in each of our lives. We see his hand at work, especially when we look to the past. We see evidence of God. We have all kinds of ways that we, we think about the past. We have photo albums, open up and flip through, tell stories about the pictures that we see, ask questions about people that we've never met, but we find out they're relatives of ours, digital collections of photos and videos that we, that we watch and we remember special memories, special moments together. We have mementos and keepsakes and souvenirs that remind us of trips that we've taken together, milestones in life that we've accomplished. We have trophies and medals. We take time to sit and talk with family and friends about things that once were, about lessons we have learned through life, about joys and sorrows that we've shared. History teaches us so much. It helps us to avoid difficulty and failure if we learn from the stories that we tell. We look back in life and we see the moments that we celebrate. We celebrate births like we did this morning. So we brought families together to honor the children that were born in the last year and pray over them and to commit to raising those children in the Lord. These are special moments in the lives of families. We celebrate anniversaries. These couples remain committed and faithful for another year. What a victory. What a joy. We celebrate graduations of Diplomas received, the, the, the fulfillment of, of persistence and hard work and dedication. We, we have all these things that remind us of what we accomplish in life. All of these special moments. Now, how often do we look back and we honor God for, for what he's done? How, how often do we look back to see his presence in the moments carrying us through? When we look back into our own lives, we can see the history of how God has been working to draw us closer to him. We think back to childhood, the, the Sunday school classes with a faithful teacher telling stories, the simple truths of God's word. We think back to parents who tuck us in at night and teach us how to pray, tell us more of those stories from scripture and align them with the things that we've done throughout the week and throughout the day. We remember those people who intervened at the right time to lead us to accept Christ, be baptized in his name. We remember those moments of recognition in our lives where we became painfully aware of guilt, overwhelmed with the burden of sin. So we recognized our own failures. We remember those moments of relief, of overwhelming peace, as we recognized what God's grace does for us. We think back through those experiences and we know that God is there. We see evidence of his faithfulness in our lives. We know that God has been working in the good times, providing for us things that we never deserved. We know that God has been there in the hard times, providing to make sure that we don't experience everything that we actually do deserve. His faithfulness is unending. His grace is eternal. And we see evidence of his faithfulness in the history of our own lives. So those moments 
of growth and change that we truly see God drawing us closer to Him. Those moments that are hard, those moments that are uncomfortable, those moments that are painful and difficult, they hurt because that pain is what awakens us to our need to change. They're difficult because they have to bring us to a moment of truth where we're willing to acknowledge before God all the things that we need to turn away from so that we can turn back to Him. And sometimes it's hard for us to humble ourselves and acknowledge the truth of reality. But God works in us and works through us in the good times and the bad, in the joys and the sorrows, and especially in the pain to continually draw us closer to him. He is working for our ultimate good, a good that has nothing to do with our comfort, a good that has nothing to do with our our wealth and our place in this world, but a good that has everything to do with our relationship with him, just as he's done for his people throughout history. In verse 32, we'll read more about that history unfolding. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them. And in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn away from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. The Israelites recognized God's faithfulness, his mercy, his grace was not, a ju- not just a part of who he was in their past. It was not just a part of who he was in history as they read about it unfolding, as they heard about the events that took place. God's mercy, his grace, his faithfulness are a part of his character. They were a part of his character. They are a part of his character, and they will be a part of his character. God is unchanging. And his character describes who he is, who he was, and who he will be. And because of that, we can have confidence in God. We can have hope. As we think about what the future holds for us, we can look to the future with hope. People of Israel looked to God from their captivity, from their oppression, with hopeful anticipation of what God would deliver them from, recognizing that he had consistently done it in their history. They're currently facing significant difficulty, oppressed, slaves, at the mercy of their captors. And they acknowledged God's goodness, His faithfulness, as they acknowledged their own sin. They recognized that He would care for them and deliver them in the same way that He had done for their people throughout their history. But that turning point, rested on them. That turning point was a result of their own recognition of sin, of their own willingness to let go of it, of their own willingness to turn away from it and turn back to him. It's the memory of God's action in the past that provided them with the information they needed to understand what they needed to do right now 
so that they could have hope for the future. And it's the same for us. We see how God has been consistently and faithfully caring for us and drawing us closer to him. And no matter what we face here and now, we know that when we're faithful, we know that when we turn to him, when we surrender the sin of our lives and repent from it and turn back to him, that we can depend on God to deliver us, to extend grace, to provide forgiveness, to be faithful to his promises time and time again. We know it's true because we see how he has done so. How he's demonstrated his faithfulness, how he's demonstrated his provision. And we know we will see it again. There's one verse in this passage that stood out to me significantly. The people of Israel said these words, And all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Can you imagine the, the humility of a people coming together before the Lord, coming together in front of one another and acknowledging the sinfulness of their lives? of honoring God for, for the greatness of who he is, for his righteousness, for his faithfulness, and acknowledging without fear, without hesitation, the difference. Acknowledging the, the failure of humbling themselves before God as they acknowledge their need for him to deliver them, to deliver them physically from their captivity, to, to deliver them spiritually, from their sin. That's the place where we come before the Lord, the place where we recognize the fulfillment of the past as it moves us toward the future, trusting that God will free us from the captivity of sin, free us from the oppressive weight of guilt, to free us from the consequences of the things that we've done. Yes, there's still temporal consequences that must be paid when we do wrong, but the spiritual consequence of guilt when we find forgiveness in the Lord. That when we come to the Lord in repentance, when we humble ourselves before him, we recognize sin for what it is and surrender it to God as he allow him to free us from it, as we allow him to turn us away from it and turn us back to him and draw us closer to him. It's the place where God works in our lives through his love and his grace place where we surrender wholeheartedly to him. This morning, I want to offer a time of invitation for you. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would recognize your need for forgiveness and grace. If you've been a Christian for a long time and yet sin defines your life, that you would surrender that, that you would repent and humbly stand before the Lord, knowing that he will fulfill his promises faithfully. That when you turn away from your sin and turn back to him, that you will find in him forgiveness and grace.